You're listening to the Business of Environment podcast with Mark Roman. Welcome to the Business of Environment. I am not actually your host, but I'm standing in for your host. I'm going to turn the tables on your host today. My name is Steve Gordon, and uh, Mark Roman, the regular host of the podcast, has asked me to come in and interview him on a few topics. And so we're going to do a series of of, of interviews of Mark here. And uh, I'm excited about this because Mark's just got a wealth of insight into uh, what really causes a lot of the challenges, you know, around, you know, environmental issues on sites. And and uh, some of those are, you know, are, are, are really related to the operations of the facility, and some of them are related to the behaviors of, of all of us humans. And so, so we're going to dive into all of that. And, and we're going to get started today uh, with a, a really important topic called the core four. But uh, before I do that, let me introduce you to Mark Roman. Mark, welcome to uh, to the podcast. A little bit weird to say that because you're the regular host here, but thanks for inviting me in. Yeah, I hope I hope I get used to the tables being turned, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be here. So you know, you and I have collaborated on on content for a number of years now, and one of the the topics that you always come back to is this idea of the core four. So can you give us just a a high level overview of of what uh, what you're talking about when you say the core four? Sure, Steve. Um, my company, Envision Environmental, and plus uh, my my previous roles in in companies before I formed Envision in 1997. Uh, I've been involved in the environmental consulting field for over 30 years, and um, I've visited many many different types of facilities, from small single facility mom and pop job shops, if you will, to multi facility multinational companies, uh, manufacturers, light commercial, uh, even industrial uh, or or office complexes and everything in between. And we've been called in to help out with a variety of different types of environmental health and safety issues. And what what I found over the years is that these issues, these environmental health and safety issues really can't be uh, effectively or properly uh, addressed without some good core foundation knowledge about your facility in place. And, and you need that good foundation to build upon the, your, the rest of your program. So you have a very long lasting environmental health and safety program. And we've really willed these down, narrowed these foundation requirements down to, to four components, which is the core four. And as long as you have these core four uh, requirements in place, you're going to find that you're better able to manage your EHS challenges. You know, you mentioned before we started recording that really a lot of the the time that you spend when you're working on a project and and trying to help somebody sort out uh, an environmental issue, and that can be really difficult because you know most of the time you're getting a lot of pressure you know from from outside from regulatory agencies and and folks like that. So. You've told me that a lot of your time is really spent sorting out the core four. Why is that? A lot of facilities either have some of these core four addressed or don't have any of the core four addressed. And it's really not only from the, the facilities side of managing EHS, these are core four, you know, core requirements that need to be in place. But in order for me to do my job from a consulting end, 
to figure out a way to address your EHS issues. This is where I have to start from also. I, I, I need to understand these core requirements at your facility also. So when I go into a facility to, to help out that, that, that company with an issue, I really need to know this information. So without this information, you know, I, I'm spinning my wheels. With this information, I can see where we need to go. I can see what, what applies to that facility and I can really come to solutions pretty quickly. So when we visit a facility that does not have these core four in place, I'll, I'll let you in on a little industry secret. You know, most of that, my charges for that work are gonna be figuring out and defining your core four requirements for you. Uh, and the solution is is really is is pretty easy to get to once I see these core four. Uh, so so if a facility already has these components in place, uh, that strong foundation, then you know my time and effort is pretty much rather brief, and it's not going to cost a lot of money to have my have me come in and provide you with assistance in in developing a solution to your problem. So so let's dive into each of these. So we've got communications, facility knowledge, property history, and documentation. Let's start with communications. Why is is this piece so important? And, and when you say communications, let you know, help us understand specifically in the environmental context what you mean. Relative to communications in a broad sense, uh, it, that, that's the key to addressing your EHS issues. You need to be a really you know, not just good communicator, you need to be a great communicator. Because of the complex nature of EHS issues relative to regulatory requirements, uh, uh, guidelines, uh, permits, all, you know, all of this material that you need to kind of have knowledge of and convey that information to your coworkers at your facility. So in order to be a great communicator, you need to be well organized and efficient so you can get through this information and know, know where to find information when it's needed. And also, these EHS issues are, are, are dynamic. They're always changing. They're always, you know, there's updates uh, to, to regulations continually ongoing. And, and industry specific changes also occur. So you need to be, to be that great communicator, you need to be very observant and knowledgeable. You need to start kind of being able to see where these changes can affect your, your facility in itself. Now, a great communicator is exactly what those two words are, a great communicator. So you need to, and that great communicator needs to increase the awareness of these issues throughout your entire facility, not just uh, to certain select populations within your your facility. So in, in order to do that, you know, you need to understand these this information also. And that's a big challenge that we see for a lot of folks is it's just because there's just not a lot of time available to, to really you know, understand the meat and potatoes of, of, of this information sometimes. So, so increasing awareness throughout your facility also helps that EHS manager or plant manager or facility manager, who, whoever's doing this work, responsible for the work, keeps them on point of what's going on and, and also be able to convey that over to, to their coworkers. And the, one of the biggest things that we see when it comes to communications, when you become that great communicator, you become approachable. You become 
that go-to guy or gal, and you're no longer the, the pain in the ass that harps on these environmental <laughs> issues. Because that's a big problem at many facilities is there's that cultural effect that's going on where production people or in the engineering group, they many of them look at, at, at environmental health and safety as, you know, the bottleneck in, in, in getting things done or, you know, it, this that department gums up the works, it slows things down. You want to you want to shift that culture to where everybody wants to go to you, you know, uh, to get input on, on, on things that are happening at your facility because environmental health and safety, you know, affects everything going on at that facility. So become that go-to guy or gal by being a great communicator, being approachable. And that means don't sit behind your desk, get down on the production floor, you know, make yourself seen throughout the organization and, and, and get involved throughout the organization and don't hide behind technology. Uh, the, the, the one thing that I found that has changed over the last 30 years so much is the person, personal communications within an organization. You know, it used to be, uh, hey, let's meet in person or, you know, even a phone call so you can, you can hear each other's voice. No one makes phone calls anymore. It's all emails, you know, and even like one or two word emails. And, and that's damaging in terms of communicating with people. You need to be recognized. And the only way to get recognized is to be seen and that, be, you know, you become approachable. So that great communicator, that, that, that comes out uh, uh, once you become that great communicator. And, and I think one of the most important keys to communication, especially when it comes to regulations and environmental health and safety issues is, is really to keep it simple, clear, and brief. Just get to your point quickly, clearly, and thoroughly. And that'll go a long way in for, for people to, to understand what they need to pay attention to relative to these issues. The, the last thing, what we find a lot of times in, in when we visit a facility and their, their environmental health and safety program just is not working, it's not being accepted internally, is when we, we ask for, okay, how are you communicating these issues to your employees? A lot of times what we'll see are these memos that are, you know, 10, 12, 15 pages long relative to how to use a ladder properly. Who the heck in the right mind is going to read that, right? <laughs> and uh, so what we suggest is go back to the basics. Uh, some of our most successful uh, clients that have great programs, you know, once you know, on a routine basis, they'll host, for example, a, a, a free pizza lunch for, for workers to come in and they visually demonstrate the proper use of a ladder, for example. You know, that's a simple example, but it could be any topic you want to talk about. And, you know, while everybody's munching on pizza or after they get done munching pizza and they're, they're watching you, within that, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute window you have there, you can convey everything you, you want and, and it'll, it'll be accepted by your workers because, you know, their, their peers, the folks they're working with are demonstrating how to use that ladder properly. So it's important that you find an avenue co to communicate that is readily accepted by your, your population at your facility. And again, just keep it 
clear, simple, and brief, and it'll go a long way to getting you to a successful program. Mark, I, I want to just pause right there because I, I think it's worth highlighting something that that I think you do really well. And I've I've worked with a lot of environmental consultants over the years, uh, and oftentimes they're very, very good at overcomplicating things. And one of the things that I appreciate about what you do and what your team does is that you guys are really practical. You know, you understand what it's like to operate in the facilities that, that you're working on. And that's one of the things that you work hard on is to, to really understand what, what's the day in the life of the staff, the team that's, that's running the facility. What does that look like? Because I think what, what you have, have kind of understood about all of this is that fundamentally a lot of these problems just come from human behavior and lack of understanding. And if you can adjust that human behavior and fit it into the way people are already working in a really practical and simple way that, you know, making some of the adjustments that have to be made on sites is actually really, really easy. Um, and I just think it's worth pointing that out because you guys do that. And that I think that's very, very unique in what you do. Well, thanks, Steve. Yeah, we, we always take the approach of, you know, that facility is there, that purpose of that facility is to have a, is to make whatever they make or do whatever they do in a safe fashion. So, you know, whoever's working there, they're going home to enjoy life and with their loved ones. And, and so we take the approach of let's keep the company moving forward and doing what they need to do, but we just need to do it in a safe fashion. So, so uh, we, we try to not, you know, create, um, a condition in there where it's, it's going to be upsetting or, or, you know, shut the operation down, if you will. It's, it's, you got to kind of work with what you're given. So, and then uh, kind of understand what they're doing. Uh, and that is like, I agree with you, that is a, a big component of it. And then come to a solution that can be easily integrated into the facility without upsetting with what already exists. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we talked about communication and it, and its critical importance in this process, but uh, the the second piece of the core four is, is facility knowledge. So how does that come into play? Why is that so important? Facility knowledge is so important because you you really you know whoever is managing your EHS issues, they they need to understand their facility and its operations. And I don't care what you do. Uh, you can be a, a manufacturer, you can be a commercial industry, you can be a, 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 in retail, you can be an office complex, you could be a hospital or a university. No matter what you do, you need to know what you do when it comes to environmental health and safety issues. In essence, you need to know what raw materials do you have at your facility, what's your finished product, and what's your waste products. So not only you, you need to know and understand what you do, but you also need to know how you do the things you do, what processes are involved. And, and then you also need to know what you already have in place relative to EHS. What permits, programs, uh, licenses, or certifications do you already have? Because all of this collectively is going to kind of help mold and shape and let you understand what regulations apply to you and what policies apply to you. Uh, and to help with that, you should also understand 
what existing systems you already have in place at your facility. Many times we go into a facility and, and the first thing that's asked is, is there kind of some kind of software I can purchase to help me manage this stuff? And, and sure, there's software out there, but it, you, it, it's the cost of that software is unbelievable. And the time needed to input information in that software to make it spit out output that's usable to you it is pretty significant and there's really not a quick solution to it so so what we also recommend is you know once you get through the no matter what we do you know you need to know what you do and uh, what processes are involved and what you already have relative to that existing systems that are already in place may help you manage these issues uh, right off the bat for example we have a client that has a, a a procurement inventory system. So everything they buy gets into this inventory system. And then when it's used up, it, you know, they tell you exactly what they have on site for, for any given time. And that's critical for EHS also, specific to whatever raw materials you may have, because that helps you with potentially compliance with permits like your air permit. Uh, or even reporting uh, regulatory required reports like tier two reports. That type of information is very usable and very you know, advantageous to have. And you, you already may have that sitting at your facility and uh, uh, you don't even know it. So rather than trying to get something new, use what you already have at your site because you'll find that it's, it's, it's a lot easier to get things done in, with that approach. But, but probably the most important and most difficult issue to, to address when it comes to facility knowledge is you need to know what you don't know. And that's the biggest danger we see is a lot of us don't know what we don't know. <laughs> uh, so according to the authors of Freakonomics, this is, I found this uh, pretty interesting, is not being able to say three simple words, I don't know can cost U.S. industry and businesses millions of dollars every year because of the mistakes we make simply because we can't say three magical words, I don't know. And when it comes to facility knowledge, not understanding your operations and what you do and how you do it, that's the biggest area where we often find uh, many of the folks that we deal with can't say those three magical words, I don't know. And what you need to boil down is, when it comes to specific information, you only have to say that once. When you, you're educated on that information, you don't have to say, I don't know anymore, right? So if you don't really fully understand your operations, I, you know, I don't know. And it's, it, it, and it's okay to say that. It's, you know, so, so it's okay you know, that you're asking for help on that because once you, once you get that help, you're not going to have to ask for it again. So you are, really need to know what you don't know about your facility and its operations. And, and like I said, it's okay to ask for help, whether internally or externally. And some of the most valuable resources we found for getting that help are your maintenance folks and your long-term service employees at your facilities. These are the guys that know how your facility ticks and what lurks in those dark corners. So tap into that resource they're the guys you want to say, I don't know to, and they'll educate you on really the key information you need to know about your facility and how it runs. I guess it, it takes uh, a certain level of humility to be able to, uh, you know, to say that. And in the business environment, we don't often want to do that because, uh, you know, we're supposed to have the answers. So I, I can understand why 
why there is this sort of uh, bias towards having to know everything. But uh, but you're absolutely right. Being able to go and, and say, I don't know, and then and using that as the opening to go find the information uh, is really key. So, you know, with with uh, demographics of, of our society, Mark, you know, we've got a lot of baby boomers who are kind of coming to the end of their career, a lot have already retired. I, I would imagine that's having a pretty big impact on uh, on sort of the facility knowledge because a lot of it's walking around in people's heads. Absolutely. And and there is a cultural clash there that we're we're seeing more and more often. And, you know, the, the clash is just like parents and children, you know, uh, you know, my age. So I'm what I'm saying, kids, I'm talking in their 20s, you know, because that's how old my kids are. But, you know, it's like they were born with a computer, you know, so whenever I have a technical issue, I ask my daughters for help. And, you know, it's it's like second nature to them. Whereas folks that have been in in the uh, work environment longer, you know, certain things are done certain ways because that's how they've always been done, you know, and that's not really a good approach when you're trying to to show these these uh, the, the folks coming into the business environment now, you know, coming out of college or coming out of a, a training program, how to do things it's kind of a shared environment. And that's what we recommend to all of our clients because that that's a question we get a lot is how, how do I kind of get these cultures to, to kind of uh, mesh uh, so that, you know, the, the younger, younger group is, is getting the benefit of the older group's knowledge and the older group is getting the benefit of the younger group's tech knowledge of technology, because that job could be done a lot easier than it currently is being done. So, so it, it, you have to speak, you have to understand what language each other speak and, and understand the benefits each other gives and kind of meet somewhere in the middle and, and figure out a way to, that it, that it'll benefit everyone in return. But that is, you're right. That is a, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles a lot of facilities are coming up with. It's, 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 you know, you, you don't see uh, uh, long-term employees much anymore you know, usually people jump from job to job within, you know, two to five years, we're seeing very seldom do you see somebody there 10, 15, 20, you know, 30 years anymore. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's, it's important to figure out a way, you know, to, to, to get these cultures to mesh at your facility. Because, you know, and, and with facility knowledge and that, you know, boils down to that also, you know, conveying that information across to each other. And because uh, the better you understand your facility, your job's going to be a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about property history, because that's really kind of related to, to facility knowledge. And, um, and I know there's a, a number of dimensions to property history in a lot of cases. The facility, whether it's a manufacturing facility or whatever, has been on that site you know, for a long, long time and maybe the only real intensive use. But I know you've come across things, you know, in the past where there were other seemingly innocuous uses that were actually, you know, the source of of the issue. Um, and so understanding going back years and years and years, what has happened on that that piece of land is important. Talk a little bit about how you guys approach property history. Yeah, property history, no, no matter what you're doing relative to EHS, you, you really need to understand your property history. You need to determine and develop it because we've we've often found that it's probably the most significant yet most underused resource to help you manage your your EHS issues. 
And what, what we found is really everyone has the capability to develop this resource. And uh, quite often, the information that you need is already at hand. You, you, you just got to locate it and, and use it. And what's, what's neat about property history, just by the name itself, it's, it's historical uh, information, but also consider it a, a preventive and future resource. Uh, understanding property history can help you avoid making past mistakes. Uh, you don't want to repeat mistakes. It's very damaging, not only to the bottom line at facilities, but also to your own reputation. So with that said, there's, there's tons of benefits to understanding your property history. It helps with facility planning. You know, how, how old is my infrastructure here? Can I, can I expand processes or can I add a, a uh, additional storage capacity with my existing infrastructure. Uh, it, it helps you with assessing your property. You know, I, I, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of uh, the ASTM standard for phase one environmental site assessments. That That's the standard that you have to use uh, to assess your property in any kind of property transaction. And right out of the gate, a key component of a phase one is property history. That's how important this is to understanding what's going on at your facility. History also helps you identify risks and liabilities and also helps insulate you from those same risks and liabilities. So, so understanding that can kind of eliminate some of these uh, underlying risks and liabilities that we often see overlooked at, at many facilities. And an example of one that we, we experienced pretty recently with a client is uh, this client was going through some growing pains and they needed to expand their warehousing area. So they had some land available on site to, to increase the footprint of their warehouse. So they went through the whole uh, effort of hiring an an architect to design a build, you know, an expansion of this building had multiple meetings with, with contractors to bid on the, the construction of, of this building. Uh, went through all of these efforts to, to evaluate all of that information. And they retained the contractor uh, t- to build the, the expansion. And our contractor shows up on the first day of work with all of the materials to do this work, starts digging a foundation for that expansion. And within the first couple of hours of digging, they hit something in the ground, relatively shallow, within three feet below grade. And they start poking around, and sure enough, what they found was an underground storage tank. Now, this facility has been in operation probably since the 1910s. <laughs> it's a, long, a long-term facility. These t- no one at the facility was aware of these tanks. Uh, I think the 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 longest term employee there was probably from the early nineties. So uh, he was not aware of the tanks uh, in that location. So they gave us a call to see if we can help them out with this. So we, we, we went out to the site and we asked them, well, do you have any records of having ever having had tanks on the site Were they ever registered so on and so forth? And, and, and the manager, the EHS manager said, no, I'm not aware of any, any records whatsoever. And uh, said, well, do you have any, any type of old drawings uh, or uh, uh, old plot plans of your facility? And he says, I think we have some in archive. So he took us back to their archival room, which wasn't very large. They had about a dozen boxes in there. 
And within an hour, we found a box full of these old drawings. And after we opened them up, what did we find? We found that that tank was identified uh, on this drawing very clearly uh, on the drawing. But unfortunately, it wasn't just one tank there. They had six more tanks lined up next to that, which they didn't discover yet. So in essence, we, we ended up taking a look at that tank. And what we find quite often with tanks that uh, are, are not used and, and they kind of fall between the cracks and, you know, the guy that was responsible for them retires, never passes information on, so on and so forth. And sure enough, that tank was never properly decommissioned. It still had material in it. Same with the, the six other tanks that we found. So long story short, uh, we had to address the tank issue. Uh, we had them all decommissioned. We had them all removed. Unfortunately, the tanks leaked. Uh, they had, fortunately, it wasn't a big issue, but it did take a couple of years to address. And, and this facility did not want this warehouse expanded until this issue was addressed. So that shut down the whole building process of the expansion for at least two years. Uh, so we can address the, the tank issue. Now, the only thing that was needed here was somebody at that facility knowing that they had these, they had information on property history right at their hands with these old drawings. And when, you know, this expansion work was going to start, you know, that person could have said, hey, let me look at these drawings and make sure we're clear of any of these issues out here and, and we're good to go with building. And they could have, you know, they could have realized, hey, these tanks may be out there. We could have addressed those tanks prior to that building contractor stepping one foot on the property, gotten that cleared out of the way, and their building process could have, you know, taken place right then and there, uh, rather than delaying it for up to two years. So just that simple drawing, knowing you have that on hand and you can, it's a vital resource, can, can let you avoid, you know, such conditions. So relative to, to property history, the question we're always asked is, all right, that's simple enough. And well, we understand the value of it, but how the hell do I develop my property history? You know, how, where do I start? So the first question we always ask is, do you have a phase one environmental site assessment of your property? And a good majority of facilities we visit nowadays ha has one, you know, it, it may be a recent one or it could be a few years old. Doesn't matter. There's a component in there, like I mentioned, of property history. There's a great starting point for you because, you know, phase ones are, are, are needed for many, many different types of issues as part of due diligence. You know, you could be getting a, a business loan for your facility you could be getting a, you know, remortgaging your property. You could be selling or buying the property. There's a variety of different uh, reasons. What we're seeing more and more are insurance companies are asking for phase ones now during renewals of policies. So, you know, many facilities already have them in place. And if you have that, you're golden because you have that property history established in the phase one. If you're not lucky enough to have the phase one, um, look for aer historical aerial photographs of your property. And a lot of facilities have them hanging up in your lobbies, right? Because they want to show their customers and clients how the business has grown over the years. Get a copy set of those, those aerial photos because they tell you where things used to be and 
conditions that used to be at your property. And in an aerial photo, sometimes you can see locations of underground storage tanks, you know, where they're, they're filled and where piping's going in and out of the ground. If you're not lucky enough to have any aerials, great program to have, everybody should have this, is, is Google Earth. Uh, get Google Earth on your computer, type in the address of your facility, and op pops, pops the most recent aerial photograph. But another valuable resource that Google Earth provides is historical aerials that they have in their library. And it's a sliding scale of years, and it's usually up in the upper left-hand corner of your screen on Google Earth. And what you'll see there are all of the years uh, of, of different aerial photographs that Google Earth has available to you for your facility. And you can, uh, you can slide that scale up and down and, and look at an aerial photograph from 1920s versus one from 2021. So, so that gives you a good overall uh, understanding of, of, of property history there. And another key uh, item is, um, like I mentioned, old drawings. We often find when people find old drawings at their facility, the first thing they want to do is throw them out. Never throw them out. They're, they're so valuable to you because these aerial photos and these old drawings are like pictures in time. They tell you where things used to be. Some of them tell you how things used to be done at your facility. So never throw them out. And probably, you know, mentioned before, one of the best resources you can have at your facility are your maintenance folks and long service employees. Again, they know how your facility ticks. They know how things are done, not only now, but how they used to be done. And they know what lurks in those dark corners, what could be problem areas for you. Yeah, I mean, this is it's such, such a, I think, a big problem to get your, your arms around. Um, but I love your approach, which is just start with what you can find at hand. And the idea of looking in these places for, for aerial photographs uh, is... I think a great one. Um, and oftentimes universities, state universities will keep uh, map libraries where they'll have aerial photographs of uh, different parts of the state. Um, now they're not often digitized, although more and more they're becoming that way. Yeah. Um, but you can certainly go and, and, and find those as well. And those are excellent resources. Uh, so Mark, that, that really kind of you know, brings us back around to the last piece of the puzzle here, which is documentation. And all of what we've talked about here kind of filters into documentation, but there, there are just various components of it. So when you think about documentation, you know, on, on kind of the, the wholesale level, what, what are you really talking about there? Keeping useful and compliant records on your EHS issues, essentially what you did, how you did it, when you did it, why you did it, simple documentation so that you can always go back to that and refer to that. Documentation is important for two aspects. One, many times it's required uh, by a regulation. And without that documentation, you know, you're out of luck. And what, what comes to point of mind right away is training. Uh, training's probably the best investment you can make at your facility. You always have a positive return on that investment. But of equal importance to that act of training is the documentation of that training. If you don't have that training properly documented, a regulator will look at that and say, don't even consider the training to be completed. So when it comes to training documentation, for example, make sure you document 
who was trained, when they were trained, what they were trained in, who did the training, where was the training done, and was the training um, completed. Pretty simple, straightforward, and that's all you need. Is, and, and that's when it comes to documentation. It's, it's pretty simple and straightforward information. When it, when it comes to addressing a, an issue at your facility, we've often recommended to, to clients, and, and they, they look at us you know, a little weird when we say this, but uh, um, after, after they get into the practice of doing this, they, they always tell us, man, this is the best thing I've ever done here. And that's keeping a, a real simple, straightforward journal, documenting things that you've done in, uh, relative to an EHS issue. And we're talking about simple documentation here. You know, had this issue, you know, issue A popped up. This is what I did to address it. This is how I addressed it. This is why I addressed it in this fashion. And uh, this was the, the end result of that. Simple you know, statements, simple documentation. It's, it's almost like keeping a diary of your work and, and your efforts toward addressing certain problems. And that journal, you know, you can have entries or, or chapters or sections relative to specific issues like, you know, wastewater compliance, for example. And that's all your information goes into that journal. And this can all be done on your computer. You don't have to have a, you know, an old fashioned handwritten journal. It, it, and, and what's nice about this is if that same kind of issue ever pops up again, you can revert back to that. Don't rely on your memory to, to figure out what you, what you did to address it before, because our memories aren't as good as we think they are. Simple documentation is all that's needed to, to take care of that. And when it comes to documentation, though, uh, there's, there's a couple of things that are helpful um, to keep in mind. And one is get a clear understanding on, on what records are required by regulation or by your permits, what records are valuable to you. You know, what are you, what are you going to refer back to all the time? Like that journal, for example, and what records do you, can you consider to be trash and just to just get them out of your life, you know, get rid of them. As soon as you see something like that, purge it. Uh, the less you have to deal with, the better off you are. You, once you go through that exercise, create a central repository for these records, like a filing cabinet in your office, for example. And when you start compiling documentation, always keep complete copies of historical information. And that's extremely important. What we've often found going into facilities is Let's, let's jump back to the underground storage tank issue again. Um, when you have a tank removed uh, through regulations, you have an underground tank removal report, right? And that documents everything you did. And a lot of these reports can be pretty voluminous with lab data and, and lab reports and so on and so forth. And because of that, a lot of folks just take, rip out the executive summary and that's all they keep. Uh, everything else is trash. They don't even keep an electronic copy of it. And that's a big mistake because there's a lot of valuable information in these historical uh, environmental assessment reports that that information can be used elsewhere on your property to help you out with a, an issue that's totally different than what that report is written about. And for example, in that underground tank report, you can have soil boring logs 
uh, as part of an attachment to that report that tells you the different soil types you have near that tank from drilling for samples or monitoring wells. Um, and that information could be helpful, for example, if you're putting in a, a building expansion and you know you, you have your engineers are wondering what kind of soil types you have on site. You can provide that information to them and you know that gives them a head start in, in geotechnical investigations and stuff like that. So there could be valuable information in these reports and it's important to, to keep the complete copies of it. And the last couple of things relative to documentation is, is to standardize any records that you need to keep. Standardization makes it easier for users to use that information and also for you to evaluate that information. And the last thing is, is a big issue we see time in and time out is paper copy versus electronic copy or e-copies. We all know we don't have a lot of room to store paper copies anymore, paper documentation. So a lot of us are scanning these old documents uh, into electronic format, storing them on a hard drive. And, you know, we all know how much information you can store on a, uh, a DVD or on a hard drive now. It's, you know, reams and reams of paper documentation. And that's a fantastic uh, method of, of reducing your, how much storage you need for, for these important documents. But there's two things to keep in mind with that. And these are so critical. Number one, if you're scanning paper documents into electronic format, before you destroy your paper copies, please, and this is so, so makes so much common sense, it's unbelievable. Please review your, your electronic version of those documents. Make sure they're legible, Make sure you can read all the information on them and make sure they contain all the information from the paper copy, especially when it comes to these large oversized drawings. You know, when you store them, they're folded up right into a nice eight and a half by 11 size even. And what we found is when, when these facilities send these documents out for scanning, or they may hire an intern for the summer to scan these documents, you know, they don't know what they don't know any better. They they don't open up the drawings and try to scan the whole thing. They're scanning it as an eight and a half by eleven document. So you may only get a title block off of that big drawing. And what we found so many times is we'll have our client will give us access to their e files in their archive, and we'll start looking for drawings. And we see in the inventory they have you know, a drawing from the 1970s, which would be great for something. And when we try to access that drawing, all we see is a title block. All of the other information that was on that drawing is now gone because that paper copy was destroyed. So it's really important to have a quality control time kind of step uh, in there, you know, at, at the point before you destroy your paper copies, review what your e-copies look like. And the last thing on that, is if you have an outside firm doing your scanning, make sure they save those uh, electronic files in a file format that is easily accessible, like a PDF. Don't have them, you know, don't use a firm that's gonna save that file into a format that's only accessible with their, uh, their software. Because what happens if that company goes out of business? Can you still get access to your files? 
through their, you know, if their software is no longer active. So, you know, it's really important to, to, to make certain that you do, but scanning information into electronic format is, 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 is a, is a great step to limit how much material you have to manage and, and, and keep track of. Uh, it's, it's such a good point because, um, you know, I've seen it happen in the past where people get locked in to, uh, you know, to a certain data format and, uh, and then they're stuck and it's just not, it's not useful for anyone. And so keeping it in formats that, that are easy to access from any computer is I think the, the only way to go at this point. Um, so, uh, Mark to, to kind of wrap things up, um, and, and put a bow on this episode, what are the, the few key first steps that, somebody who's listened to this should take and, and just to begin getting a handle on, on these issues inside their organizations. I would make a list of the core four and keep it front and center on your desk. I mean, that's, that's what I do. I mean, I, I preach this stuff to clients all the time, but um, it's always a reminder of, you know, on, on a simple post-it note right in front of my face <laughs> to, to keep them in mind when I'm trying to address a problem for a client and where, where to start out with, you know, first is, Take a look at the four of them and see where you're weakest at. What one do you need the most improvement on? And start with that guy. Uh, and whether it's communications or your your uh, facility knowledge, uh, property history, or your your uh, your documentation. And and what we've often found, what the feedback we've always received from from our clients is is the latter two, property history and documentation, are really the easiest ones to to tackle because you already have a lot of that in place. It's just a matter of fine tuning them. Uh, probably the hardest one to know, uh, to, to, to really get a handle on is facility knowledge, uh, especially what, you know, knowing what you don't know. Uh, and, and that's the most difficult one for, for, you know, based on feedback we've received from, from our clients. Um, but, you know, they're all equally important. And, you know, if your main goal is to, to make sure all four are being addressed and that you strengthen each one of them so that you have that solid foundation to, to build upon. And what you'll find out, and I guarantee you, is once you start having that great, strong foundation with these core four in place, you're going to see management of your EHS issues are going to be a lot easier to take care of because these, these core four are in place. Well, and I, I know, Mark, you've got a um, series of articles where you go in even more detail on all of these. So um, if, if anyone wants to check those out, we will put links in the show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast player, just look in the show notes, they'll be linked in there, or you can go to envisionenvironmental.com um, and, and where you're listening to this episode right below will be linked um, all of those additional resources. Uh, Mark, for somebody who is listening to this and, and they wanna start to get a, a handle on these things, but maybe they need some help. How can they get a hold of you and your team to uh, to talk with you about how you might come in and help them? They can either email me at markroman at envisionenvironmental.com or um, even give me a call, 609-208-1885. Be happy to spend time with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mark, this has been fun. Thanks for letting me turn the tables on you. Um, and we've got a couple of more episodes coming up in this series. So I'm looking forward to be back uh, to being back for those. Uh, but until next time, folks, this has been the business of environment. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks, Steve.
The Business of Environment podcast is sponsored by Envision Environmental. Do you have environmental gorillas hiding in plain sight at your facility? Chances are you do, and you don't even know it. Discover how to assess your environmental, health, and safety risks, and protect yourself from fines and liabilities before there's trouble. Download a free copy of our book, Overlooked, Hunting the Invisible Environmental Gorilla, at envisionenvironmental.com slash free book.